Of the four New Testament Gospels, the book of John is, well, it's different. Like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it presents a retelling of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But John is notably distinct in what it emphasizes, and what it includes, and what it leaves out, in the order and structure of its account, and in the image of Jesus it constructs. One of the early church fathers, Clement of Alexandria, famously characterized the differences between the gospel narratives in this way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote down the bodily things, the physical facts, whereas John, who was encouraged by his pupils and irresistibly moved by the Spirit, wrote a spiritual gospel. In this teaching series, we'll explore John's distinctive spiritual gospel, and along the way, we will reacquaint ourselves with his overtly theological retelling of Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. This is the spiritual gospel. After he washed the disciples' feet, he put on his robes and returned to his place at the table. He said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example. Just as I have done, you must also do. I assure you, servants aren't greater than their master, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we come to you this evening with so many things on our hearts, whether it be sorrow or joy, heaviness or worry. We call out to you to listen, to hear our cries when we can't even form the words to express what we want to say. Lord, we know our heart, you know our hearts without even having us to tell you. God, we're thankful that you've provided this church and the freedom to hear your word and worship you without fear of prosecution or condemnation as so many others must worry about. Let us be cognizant of that and form our lives in response to this great privilege. I pray that the message tonight will be pleasing to you and that the words that leave my lips will be what you want me to communicate. Open our hearts to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you've been around for any of the last 39 weeks, you know that we've been making our way through the book of John, what's often called the spiritual gospel. The book of John has proven to have differences from the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Last week, Josh preached about the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Tonight, we'll go a little further and we'll address verses 12 through 17 when Jesus addresses the disciples about what he has done. I want to start by pointing out what Jesus says in verse 13. He said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. Jesus is giving his disciples a conditional statement. If this, then that. A hypothesis followed by a conclusion. You know, if you eat a good dinner, then you can have dessert. If you get good grades in high school, then you can attend college. If you crazy children act right, 
then we'll go to Coco's or the trampoline park or the beach or whatever, fill in the blank with whatever gets your kids to, to act right. I'm not speaking from experience or anything. <laughs> no relation to the sermon, but this just makes me think of a time that um, when the kids were little, I felt like dinner time was absolute chaos. There were always arguments popping up here and there. And so I read some some dumb article from Parenting or Family Fun or one of those that talked about, um, you know, make dinner time a special time, light taper candles and make it special and, and quiet. And I think it, well, they ended up arguing about who was gonna blow the candles out at the end of the meal. <laughs> and if my memory isn't mistaken, I think I immediately blew out the candles and that was the end of that genius idea. So, but we know from past sermons that disciples didn't always understand what Jesus was trying to say. If John, if Peter, if Judas, if you call me teacher or Lord, which they did, if I, your teacher and Lord, washed your feet, you must wash each other's feet. If I did this to you, you must do the same to others. Here's one of the many things that confuses me about Jesus and his ministry and the Bible. Last week, we heard Jesus's rather esoteric response to Simon Peter's proclamation, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my feet and my head. Jesus responded, those who have bathed need only to have their feet washed because they are completely clean. You disciples are clean, but not every one of you. He knew who would betray him. That's why he said, not every one of you is clean. We go from that response, which is, I would, I would claim, rather confusing, to the simpler if-then statement. I'd like to think that it was like Jesus thought to himself, there's no way any of these guys understood what I just said, so I'm gonna break it down for them and try it this way. I'd also like to call attention to the fact that at this point in time, rabbis, they really valued social rank. Disciples serve teachers, not the other way around. The specific act of service, washing feet, was not expected even of disciples. Scholars agree that this act deliberately prefigures Jesus' death for others. It's as if Jesus is being presented as a servant, and this act is symbolically characterizing his impending suffering and death on the cross as an act of service. As we move through the passage, Jesus says, I've given you an example, just as I have done, you also must do. Disciples were supposed to follow their teacher's example. And interestingly enough, later rabbis even used earlier rabbis' behavior as a legal precedent. Jesus goes on to say, I assure you servants aren't greater than their master, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. Other versions say, truly, truly, or verily, verily. This language signals an important declaration and is used when anything of um, importance and worthy of attention and observation is delivered. Like, listen up, I'm about to say something that's important and you need to remember it. This phrase he uses and his meaning is this, that if this act of service was not below him, who had chosen and called and sent them forth as his apostles, they who were sent by him should not consider themselves unworthy to wash one another's. 
the servant is not greater than his master. This saying occurs four times in the Gospels, each time in a different connection, to demonstrate that the disciples must expect no better treatment than their master in Matthew 10:24, to impress the apostles with their responsibilities as teachers for their disciples will be as they are in Luke 6:40, and with the same purpose as in Matthew 10:24, and also later in John 15, verse 20, we can infer that it was one of Jesus's common sayings. Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. It's not good enough to have the knowledge. You must put it into practice. Mere knowledge of this important Christian principle is nothing if you don't act on it. The pulpit commentary stated it this way, and I found it intriguing. Knowing and doing are often perilously divorced. All week I was thinking that I would focus on the self-sacrificial service that Jesus modeled for us in these verses. But here's the thing, this passage is so much more than just a general call for service. I'm still gonna talk about it, but I do have a few observations or thoughts on what we've read tonight that hopefully is gonna go beyond that idea. So I'll go ahead and start off with the expected message first. Jesus modeled service to the disciples. All through Jesus's ministry, he flip-flopped the expected way of doing things, whether it's cleansing the temple or associating with so-called sinners or eating with tax collectors. He re reversed the social positions and the roles that were so commonplace of the time. In retrospect, this reversal of roles should come as no surprise to us. We know that Jesus came to this earth to bring a new message and his actions in this story fit well within that implication. I've talked about this before, but I'll continue to do so whenever the opportunity presents itself. In this faith that we call Christianity, we are called to serve others. It's not enough to serve those that we're comfortable with or those that we're friends with or those that we enjoy the company of. We're called to take a page from Jesus's proverbial playbook and serve those whom society deems to be unworthy. You can fill in the blank here with so many different options the poor, the widows, the orphans, those who look different from us, those who act differently from us. The list goes on and on. Just ask yourself, who does society deem to be lesser? Who's left on the outskirts and who doesn't belong? May I remind you who Jesus' disciples were? Fishermen, a tax collector, a religious Pharisee, and a thief. Simon was known as a zealot, and zealots were people that engaged in politics and anarchy, attempting to overthrow the Roman government. The men were not looked upon fondly, whether it was because of their professions or their beliefs, but Jesus chose them out of everyone that he could have chosen to be charged with furthering his gospel message and with Christianity as a whole. If you'll give me some leeway here, I'd like to go a little off track for a minute. This past week in my practices of worship class, we've been discussing gathering and sending. We've had some discussions about how the Big C Church does a good job of gathering. I mean, there's as many churches as there are beliefs. But the churches often miss the mark when it comes to the task of sending. 
The sending part occurs when you leave Sunday service and you go and you serve and you be Jesus for all the people that I've just mentioned. Here's the thing, everyone has a calling from God. It's not just priests and nuns or ministers and pastors. It's everyone, students, teachers, people staying at home with the kids, people staying home and helping with the elderly, with their parents, doctors, social workers, attorneys, managers, business-minded people. God has a call for each and every one of you to be Jesus to those people that you meet on a daily basis. You don't have to be in so-called ministry to minister to people. So that's all I'll say about that this evening, but that could be an entire sermon in itself. The story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet is about relationship. When he humbly took on the role of servant and intimately washed the feet of his followers, he was symbolically offering himself in love. It was an offer for relationship, just like his relationship with God. This relationship and love that Jesus was offering to his disciples was the same one that Jesus and God shared. If you allow yourself to really think about that statement, it'll blow your mind. Jesus was offering the same love and relationship that he shared with the God of the universe. If you think about that, it's really humbling. One commentary writes, in that humility and love, the Father sent the Son. Now the Son in humility and love sends the disciples. Whoever receives them receives Christ, just as whoever receives Christ receives the Father. The thing that really stuck with me after reading the text is nothing that's real innovative or new, but it's something that still gets me in the heart whenever I think about it. This offer to the disciples is mind-blowing life-changing. But not all of the disciples accepted that offer. There was refusal on a very, very small scale. I think many of us could tell the story of a time when we offered our love to someone and it was rejected. Even years later, I'm confident in saying that you probably still feel a tinge of hurt when you think about it. Can you even imagine the hurt that Jesus felt when some of the disciples refused his love and offer for a relationship. In this offer comes an opportunity for us to intimately engage in that connection. And along that line, how God feels when we reject his offer of love and relationship. So yes, the story is a story of humble service, but not just a call of general not just a general call for service. It's a call to give as he gives and to love as he loves. We must embody Jesus's love. Will we accept his love? Will we decide to enter or to recommit to enter this community with Jesus and with each other? If the answer is yes, there's really no stock answer as to how you'll live out that commitment. Each person's commitment is as unique as God creates each person to be. But let me remind you, you each have a calling from the God of the universe, and it doesn't get any more special than that. Thanks for listening to this week's teaching from the Restoration Project. If you live in the Salisbury area, we invite you to join us for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. 
If you'd like more information on TRP, please visit our website at www.restoresby.org. And for previous sermons, check out our SoundCloud page at www.soundcloud.com forward slash restoresby or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. See you next week.